once the uh, <clears throat> once the anger starts rising within us, it's really, really tough to back down, isn't it? I mean, we've all been in spots where we just blow our top and we go off um, on friends, spouses, uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, even even on the job. This kind of stuff can happen. You know, we have these. Uh, Emotions that are very normal to have. All of us have human emo- the human emotion of anger. Every everybody in this room gets angry, and so it's a human emotion to for things to set us off. It's a human emotion for us to feel things and for certain things to not be okay within us. And but sometimes we just kind of let it rise, and we think, well, this is just my personality. Um, this is just who I am. I've got to be me. I've got to be true to how I feel. And so we blow up and we use that as sometimes after the fact we think, well, you know, yeah, I lost it. This is who I am. This is I have I, I have that problem, but I, I just had to get it out. Once I get it out, it's over with. I don't know if you've ever thought that. Like once I get it out, I just need to get this out, blow up on someone. Then it's gone, it's done, it's done with. But the, the truth of that is if you look behind you, there's casualties along the way. There's people who've been just mowed down by angry flashes and angry words that come out of our mouth. And so this, this is such a critical area. Last week we looked at arrogant words and just how um, arrogance shows up. Because arrogance is in our hearts, it shows up in what we say all the time. It just crops up in what we say, lifting ourselves up in our words and bringing others down in our words. Angry words is something that, again, it just, when it comes out of the mouth, it's not just arbitrary talk. It's actually coming out from inside of us, from our heart. There's a connection between our mouth and our heart, the scripture says. And so from the overflow of our heart, the mouth actually speaks. And so what we're looking at is not... um, it's really important that we all understand the connection there because it's easy to just distance ourselves from some of these topics and say, well, that's, that's out there. But the truth is when we start wrestling with this, these things, it's we're, God's trying to get at the heart issue. And so there's a verse that I want to start with today. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. And Paul, one of the church leaders, he wrote um, to this church in Ephesus, a church that he had started, and, and he begins to deal with different areas of life, and he gets to the, the way that we talk and the way we use our words, and he talks about lying in previous verses and how that's not to be a part of how we relate and talk to each other. We're supposed to deal with, in truth with each other. But then he gets to this whole area of anger, and I want to look at this and kind of pick this apart for a minute and then look at some other areas. You can follow along if you like. We have a listening guide, and you'll see this verse at the top of there as well. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And I kind of want to break this down. In your anger, um, in some ways, like literally this says, Be angry, but don't sin, or be angry, but not sin. And it's, in, in some ways, it's permission to experience or to feel anger there really is this human side of of anger to all of us and so um it's not a good thing to just suppress or pretend like i'm not ticked off at something it's not it's not okay to just um pretend like i'm not feeling um annoyed or frustrated that someone just treated me a certain way or that someone hurt me in some way or hurt someone close to me we can't suppress that and so this this verse is really in your anger this normal human emotion don't 
sin. There's this boundary, though, in where the emotion ends and where we cross past the boundary that is that is called sin. And sometimes we have a hard time figuring out where is that line? Where do I draw the line between what's normal for me to be feeling and frustrated and angry about? But then where's that line where I've blown it, where where I've where I've went passive personally? What happens? We tend to go passive and we become slave to the emotion. So the emotion, um, rather than us leading our emotions, the emotion takes over. We become slave to it. And we, in turn, cross that boundary, blow up on someone. This is the, the command. He's saying, in your anger, don't, you don't want to do that. Don't sin. There is a line. Don't, don't go past that boundary. And then he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This is a really interesting phrase because... It gives us several things. One, it gives us the issue of timing. There's this issue of God wants us to clear up our anger um, each day. He doesn't, the, the normal, and I think as I've been looking at this and processing it, I think what he's trying to get at as well is it takes us some time to process how we feel. So use this time of the day to process, but get it, get it sorted out. Figure out how do I work through this in the right way so that I don't cross the boundary of sin. By the end of the day, help me to figure out how do I deal with this? Because, I, again, I can't suppress it because that becomes another problem. And it's a certain kind of anger. But we can't just go to bed and stay angry. And that's what the scripture is saying. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. The wording there is to stay angry. It, it means I'm still smoldering. I'm still offended. I'm still frustrated and ticked on the inside. But according to scripture, if you've decided to follow Christ, you don't have that freedom. That's not okay for those of us who've decided to commit our lives to Christ. It's just not okay for us to um, to not deal with the way we feel because bad things come if we just stuff it or if we blow up on someone and then still go to bed without resolving what has gone on. It's, so it's it's this whole issue of of it, it's it really is so important that we catch the timing of this. Every day, as the sun goes down, it ought to, it, it probably, it won't do this, but it can be a trigger for us, as the sun is setting, a trigger for us to examine, how am I doing in my relationships? Am I angry at someone? Is there something I'm stuffing down? Is there something that's not resolved that is smoldering on the inside? Because I cannot let this day end and stay angry. I don't have that freedom. If I do, I've crossed the boundary. If I remain angry, I've crossed the line that God says don't cross. And then he says this, and do not give, and these thoughts string together, in your anger don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Literally, that word means a place. Don't give him a place. Which is really, it's, he, t- he wants to take a position that is u- as a usable base that he can begin to advance from into other areas of our life. And it's interesting. We tend to think, well, the, the devil, the enemy, you know, if I've committed my life to Christ, then I'm kind of off limits. He can't bother me. I'm, um, I've got a force field over me. But why would he be writing this to the church if this was not to caution them about um, an open spot in, in, in our lives. He's saying, look, this is a this is an area you cannot mess around. This is an entry point for the enemy to begin to cause problems in our lives. It's from this place, when we don't resolve our anger, that he takes a foothold or he takes a place in our life 
And he uses that place to further advance in all sorts of ways and to cause all sorts of problems. And so anger that rises within us, it must be dealt with before the sun goes down. That's what this is saying. And this may be a brand new area to think about for you. Um, Because as Americans, we pride ourselves in being true to ourselves. We are Americans. We're free to be individuals. But if you committed your life to Christ, then you now belong to Jesus Christ. And he, he has taken up residence within you. And he actually wants to be boss, master. We're, we're, we're his servants. We're his, scripture calls us, uh, uses the phrase slaves. We're, he owns us. And sometimes it's really hard for us to get our minds around that. But this is one of those areas where he wants us to not just express how we feel and express our freedoms. But to actually allow him to change the things in us that may feel very natural and normal. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. It's not in your outline. But it says, Paul says, in speaking about himself, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's talking about how he no longer has to earn God's grace. He doesn't have to do things to stay in good standing. He, he, his old way of doing life and trying to earn God's favor has been done away with. He he committed his life to Christ, and so he was made right with God because of the works of Jesus. But now he, he didn't belong to himself. Paul's saying, as I gave my life to Christ, it's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. He gave himself for me. And, and I, one of the points he, he's making here is, I'm not my own. I, I don't have the freedom anymore to just do what feels right. And the new life that God is going to weave together is going to look very, very different for all of us if we continue to yield to him all the days of our life. He wants to continue to change us and conform us into the image of Jesus. That's, that's God's plan for us, to mature us. And so this whole area of, of anger, he wants us to figure out how do I process, how do I work through and resolve anger, this emotion, in the right way. And this is the, this is the, the second really most troubling category of words is angry words. And I want to look at three areas very briefly. The first area that we ought to delete is this. It's the area of angry outbursts. And we saw this in the video clip where he just, it started getting extremely heated. And the more heated it got, the more he started blowing up to the very end. She just cut him with some words and then he lost it, slammed the door, started screaming at her, saying hurtful things. At that point, they had both... You know, they had both just really damaged each other and cut each other down. And sometimes we think, well, I just, again, I just need to get it out. But when we start cutting each other down, all we have is less of a friend or less of a spouse. But this whole area of angry outbursts, it's a sudden and often explosive verbal release. We all at probably at one point have experienced this because sometimes, you know, we just hit something and we, we you know, you bump your toe on something and you might lose it, you know. Um, but sometimes it's you bump your life into someone and you lose it. Or, you know, someone bumps into you in some way and you lose it. And there's just all these different things, exchanges in our life that create these angry outbursts. But sometimes this only has a verbal impact. When we blow up and we have an outburst on someone, sometimes it's, it's purely um, verbally painful. But other times it's physically it, it sets us up for physical violence when we have these outbursts, um, domestic violence, fist fights, 
Um, whenever we outburst, it's just we incite other people to respond in anger. I mean, you see that in the video. We don't need to see it in the video because I think for the most part we've all probably experienced these moments where we've had these flashes and we just... And then we look back and we think, wow, who was that person? What, what, what came over me? But certain words stir up anger. Certain words do. The first one is reckless words. Reckless words in the scripture are when we just start babbling. The idea of reckless is we, we babble without thought or restraint. Meaning we just we say things without thinking or stopping ourselves. Reckless words, Proverbs says, pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. These are painful words because we're just saying whatever comes to our mind. And, you know, again, those things are flowing out of our heart. But when our words get reckless, everybody gets hurt. When I hit those spots when I'm so angry, someone has incited my anger. And I just unload for me personally. Um, I have a pretty long fuse. But when I hit these points, I say really hurtful things to people I care about. And. It, this idea of it pierces like a sword, obviously it causes pain to them. It, it's, it's harming them. Um, it reminds me of a, a video game, and I'm not much of a video game person, but in college I played the game um, 007, GoldenEye, on the N64 and uh, game system. And there's like newer versions of this. Halo is like the, I don't know if Halo's still the new thing, but anyway, there was this game called Halo. And... Uh, I've played that. I'm horrible. I'm one of those guys that I'm like walk around like this all day. Cause I, for those of you who've played that, there's just too much on the controller. So I, I'm like this and I get shot in the head constantly in the game. I'm the easy target that people love to play with because they get to practice. But even in 007, you know, I would be that guy. But the idea in these games is you're running around these, these rooms and these buildings and temples. Why would you shoot people in a temple, I guess? But, you know... Um, it's a game, but you're running through these, these rooms and you find these guns. And with me, it was like whatever gun I could find would work. You know, some people, they were strategic and they would look for certain weapons that they know could, could do the most damage. For me, it was really a reckless approach to playing video games. And so, well, hey, there's a gun. I pick it up and I shoot someone with it. Hey, there's another gun. That's the idea with this. When we start getting into reckless words, we're saying whatever we, we're just using whatever is available to hurt the other person. It's not all that thought through. We're just in the heat of the moment and we're just picking up things and we're just lobbing them at people and people are, you know, getting limbs taken off. And this is how we use our words in this way. It's reckless. And maybe that's not descriptive of you. Maybe this is the uh, maybe you don't do that. Maybe you really think through in this other way is harsh. The second area is harsh words that come up in angry outbursts. Harsh words are intended to cause pain, but they're more aimed they're hurtfully aimed at people. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The idea there of stirring up, it has the wording of the fires being kindled. You're really going to, a harsh word, it, it hurts even more. It's kindling, the, it's just adding fuel to the, to the fire to where that other person is going to fire back even harder. But a harsh word has a lot more to do with these careful chosen words where it's almost like in the video game analogy, if you've played the, the game 007, it's the golden, you know, the golden gun. Wasn't that the one where you could just pick up the gun and all it took was one shot and that was it. A lot of the other guns you had to hit them like multiple times. The golden gun just took them down with one, one bullet. 
And that's kind of the idea here with a harsh word. It's chosen carefully. You've picked the right weapon to, to do the most damage to a person. And again, this is, this is how we operate. Sometimes we plan out, man, this is going to hurt. They've hurt me and I'm going to hurt them back. And I, I blow. Another, another area that's guaranteed to stir up more trouble is proud words. We're not going to look at this, but proud words, we looked last week at this whole area of arrogant speech. And if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go on our website and, and just listen to that from our website. Gets at a really important area, but pride in our speech is guaranteed to stir up people and to distance ourselves from them. Here's some guidelines that can help us before we blow, before we have these outbursts. The first one is this. When we're provoked, understand it's, it's honorable to avoid a quarrel. It's a, it's, it's a good thing. It's an honorable thing to, to just steer away from a quarrel. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3 says, It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Some people just cannot back down from a fight. You know, there's someone gets gets into it with us and we just we're just not able to back down. We just we, you know, our fuse is you can't even find our fuse. It's so short. And, you know, someone says something, it sets us off. We blow up on them. So the scripture saying, hey, it's 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 to your honor to avoid strife, to avoid contention. My father has he has one of these very, very long fuses. And there's many times growing up where I saw people um Get in his face and just, and he was a pastor and he'd always pull out his pastor card. He didn't have one, but he'd say, I'm a pastor. And sometimes I'd get him out of a jam, but sometimes he'd be in the middle. He was the kind of guy that would try to break up fights. And sometimes the fight would turn on him. And, um, he had this long fuse and he could just take it from people. And I always thought he's going to snap someday. He's just going to go off this little guy and he's just going to go off on this. And I never saw him. I, I, I never see. He just has this long fuse. And he, he just, and his motto in life was always, Josh, just kill him with kindness. Kill him with kindness. And uh, he just, he's able to do this. And you know what? It, there's a lot of respect for a person who's able to not, to, to where the anger just doesn't take over and rise up and, and we blow up. And that's what the scripture's trying to get at. It's an honorable thing. Proverbs 17, 14, another uh, verse, same idea. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before the dispute breaks out. Once a dam bursts, everything below it, the town below it, gets destroyed. That's how, that's how quarrels are. And our, our mouths can serve like a dam. And as soon as we open that m- mouth, it's like we're breaching the dam, and then all sorts of people get punished for it. So it says, drop the matter. Our honor remains intact more if we will choose to drop it than if we fight every battle. You know, some people get shamed because they don't drop it and shame they get shamed. They open their mouth angrily and someone comes and lets them really pay the price for it. And so we're, we're, to, we're to avoid a quarrel. Also, when provoked, we're to overlook hurtful words. We can look past things. A fool shows his annoyance at once. But a prudent man overlooks an insult. Sometimes we just need to take a hit. And in marriage, reading a book in our, in our growth group that we're in called Love and Respect, and it kind of outlines this scenario in marriage where there's just this dynamic that goes on and this, this cycle of, of unloving and disrespecting. And 
the advice that's given to the men in the book is, guys, there's times when you just need to take the hit because we're built to take the hit. And so sometimes things are said in a hurtful way. And rather than responding as we saw in the video and just firing back with something that's going to cut them down even further and continue this cycle of this fight, the author says it's better to just take the hit. He uses this first. We're built to do that. We're built to be able to take it and to move in towards... If you're married, towards your wife and to figure out how, how can I show love to her? She is responding. Very likely she's responding to something that I'm doing that's not loving. And so how can I, even in the, in the intense fight where she's maybe throwing stuff at me verbally, how can I still take the hit and move towards her in love and try to think how, how can I show her love right now? How can I say a kind word? That's, that's not easy for any of us, is it? But that's, the scripture gives us this. It's better to overlook hurtful words. Another thing when we're being provoked is to learn to return a gentle answer. For a gentle answer, it says in Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer is the opposite of harsh, that, that aimed, careful, painful word. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer is, is this kind and tender response. When someone is provoking us, it's thinking through it's thinking through what, what, what is going to soften this situation. What, what is best for what they need right now? And we all have the choice here. We can control our responses. Nobody is a slave to our emotions. It's, it, it's not out of our control. We know this is true because we'll be in the middle of a fight. The phone rings. We pick up the phone. Hello, how's it going? We were just screaming at the top of our lungs. And now we're... Yeah, yeah, come on over. We'll pray together. Um, yeah, we'd love to do that. Come on over. We're sitting here having a great conversation. <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all able to just stop the emotion if we need to, aren't we? It does not have to rule over us. Also, we're to work on becoming quick to hear. This is what James one nineteen says. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There's an order here. First, quick to hear, it says. Be quick, lead with your ears, listen first, make sure you understand what the other person's really trying to say. Rather than getting to this exchange of, you're not listening, and then the other person says, I hear you, but you're not listening. I hear you. It really is a matter of, no, somebody's not understanding, not understanding each other. But quick to hear, this is the priority. First, quick to hear. Second, <clears throat> slow to speak. Delay your response. First, listen first. Understand what the person's saying. Think, and then think, what should I say? Slow to speak. Should I really say that? Will that help? Or is that going to just do more harm? Engage your mind and run your thoughts through some filters. The third thing it says in that verse is slow to become angry. Have a, have a slow, long fuse. And the question here, you know, is so do I have permission to get angry and blow up? I think the order is important to recognize. He's saying, first, listen to understand what there's, what, what's going on. Then secondly, you know, process what I need to say. And then you'll know how to, how to process your anger. You'll be slow to anger. You'll be, the, this will slow down that, that rise that goes within us. We, we don't have to give into it. If we can settle down and, and go at it the right way, rather than be quick to get angry, which we tend to reverse this verse. We get angry first, we start talking, and then we, 
what, what were you saying? Oh, I didn't realize that's what you said. Sorry, I just tore your head off. You know, we get it totally backwards. And the verse is really intended to give us the right order. So that, that's the first area of angry words is just these outbursts. The second area, we're going to move quickly through these, is, is this internal smoldering known as bitterness. Bitterness is showing intense dislike or ill will. Um, this is where it just, the anger smolders and it chokes you slowly. You don't deal with it, you suppress it. Bitterness can grow from all sorts of things. First, it can grow from unresolved anger over life situations or treatment by others, poor treatment by others. Long-term mistreatment can produce bitterness in us. Here's a verse from Colossians 3.19. It says, Husbands, love your wives. I think. It doesn't say that. Here's a verse, Colossians 3.19. I got it for you. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This has to do with tension that normally comes up in marriage and the tendency for men to be harsh with their, with their spouses. And so the, the challenge here and the encouragement here is, is to, if you're going to guard against bitterness, you, you have to, you have to uh, restrain yourself from harshness. Um, or in order to restrain yourself from harshness, you have to be okay to, again, I think the, the idea of taking the hit, not just, or not just suppressing things, because if you, if you just push it down um, and not resolve it, you're going to, over time, it's going to create this bitter, this bitterness that will, will amount to lots of harsh exchanges, lots of harsh interactions, really short, unkind things. And so we can get hurt and very easily just taken over by the hurts. And it's like lava that is smoldering inside us under the surface. No one can see it. But it's, we can't control the eruptions. They just kind of come up because there's a lot of bitterness boiling inside of us. So we're to guard against it. Wherever bitterness grows, it keeps on for generations. Man, we keep losing lights. By the time we're done, it's going to be totally dark in here. <laughs> but wherever bitterness grows, if you let it grow, it will just take, it will take over. Bitterness can also grow from jealousy. James 3.14 if you harbor bitter envy, which is jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Sometimes we get extremely jealous of other people. And the idea here is that in our jealousy and our selfish ambition, our desire to put ourselves and push ourselves forward, we can turn very proud and we can begin to boast about ourselves. Our jealousy might manifest in speech that builds ourselves up and pushes other people down. And so, or we start denying the truth, we start twisting the truth about someone else that we're jealous about in order to make ourselves feel better and to look better. One of my friends says that jealousy creates this addictive hurt, this addiction. We just want to keep talking about the jealousy and about the other person. And it keeps, we keep talking about it and talking about it with other people. We keep building ourselves up and talking down on other people. And this vicious cycle grows as we're, we think we're doing something good because we're getting it off our chest. But just this addictive hurt continues to grow within us. That's, that's the root of bitterness. And Scripture says, letting a root of bitterness take hold results in trouble for many. Anytime we let this take over, it, it is it's bad for everyone. It, it, it spreads. It doesn't just stay. You might think, oh, I'm just going to let this smolder inside. I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm ticked off. But that, that just spreads to your relationships. It spreads throughout families. Hebrews 12:15 See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root causes or grows up to cause trouble 
and defile many. Like this stuff will spread throughout churches. It will spread throughout families, friendships. And, and moms and dads, if you, if you let bitterness in your family, this will haunt your kids. This will plague them for years and years as, as teens and especially as adults. As, as adults, if, you, if you've been bitter and you've set this example, um, this will haunt them. They will carry this into their adult years. And they're going to have a really hard time dealing with personal bitterness. And so as, as parents, we're to deal with these things in the right way, setting the right example, leading our kids in the right, <clears throat> down the right road. One way of describing bitterness is, this, is the word grudge. Bitterness, if we, if we get bitter and we don't resolve it, we can have this grudge. and um, You know, we, we have our grudges and we, we have them in the closet. We're mad at someone. We pull it out. And just like a pet, we begin to pet the grudge. And we feed it something. We pet it. You know, we just, we just keep doing this. And this continues to go on. We put it back in the closet but we don't really do it. We take it out of the closet. We kind of pet it some more. and we, we feed it some more. It gets, it gets bigger and slowly begins to eat away. It kills us. It takes years of our lives, this grudge. And the only way to deal with the grudge is to take it out of the closet and just shoot it in the head. <laughs> That's the only way to deal with it. Is to shoot it. How do you do that? You shoot the grudge by forgiving. That's, that's how you kill bitterness. Is you forgive and you treat people kindly. That's how you do it. Deal with bitterness through forgiveness, then kindness. That's the only way to get free from the grudge and the bitterness. Ephesians 4, Paul says, and this is in uh, verses after when he says, don't sin in your anger. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind. That word kind is just do what fits the need. Do what they need. This is how we get past it. We, we, we show kindness and compassion to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. You see, Jesus, or God, forgave us in Christ. He laid out a pattern for us to follow. It cost God the death of His own Son to forgive us. It cost Him greatly. It costs us very little, if nothing, most of the time, nothing, to forgive others. He set, a, he set a, an example for us. Sometimes we think, I can never forgive them for what they've done. We, if you've decided to follow Christ, you have to watch what you say because God forgave us for living a life of rebellion, rejecting Him, doing life our own way, but He's forgiven us in Christ. He set the example. If you can forgive, go ahead and do it. If you can just get past it, go ahead and do it. If you need to have a conversation, then set that up. Initiate a conversation and work towards peace, work towards forgiveness even if they won't reconcile, we can still forgive other people. We can still do our part of letting it go. Bringing this up to them, you really hurt me when you did that, and, and I want, I, I'm forgiving you for that. If they say, you know what, that's on you, great, I'm glad, but I, you know, I'm still angry at you. To, get, to just clear up your end sometimes is all we can do. And to, to offer forgiveness, which is to not continue to, to pet the grudge and to keep... But to take the grudge out, to shoot it, and say, I'm, I'm letting go of this. I'm not going to bring this up to them again. Quickly, one final area of angry words is this. It's known as quarreling. I don't have much time, but fueling strife. Quarreling is when we, we just fuel strife, bickering, arguments, 
contention. So fueling strife and contention in relationships or in groups. We just we have the ability to quickly stir things up, to be a contentious person on the job, in relationships, even in church. Quarrels can take all sorts of forms. One is personal arguments. Paul gives us advice and he says, there's this there's these ladies that are bickering, they're quarreling over some issue. And so Paul just calls them out. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. They, they were interpersonally having some conflict. And so um, sometimes we just have such a hard time to disagree without drawing blood, right? Have a hard time just keeping peace and unity. Small quarrels are often the source behind major disunity and division, especially in church life. Look at this next point. is Quarrels take the form of contention in the whole church. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, Paul describes this church who's, who's bickering. They're quarreling over issues that are not that important. He says, you're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you acting? Are you not acting like mere men? See, God calls us in the church to unity. Sometimes we fight so hard against unity, though. We, he wants to see us working together as one. He wants to see a unit. And w- once in a while, what we do is we, we want um, to, to get what we want. We want to stand out or we have a different opinion. And so we... You know, God wants to see this this unit. I'm using my fist to represent a single unit. But we we occasionally we pop up and we we become this, you know, this focal point of the unit. And we disrupt the disunity when we do that. Our, our quarreling, which most of the time it's we're promoting ourselves. Um, in the case of this verse, um, the church is being challenged because they were arguing about relationships. Who led them to Christ? Who built into them? And Paul's saying, none of that stuff really matters. He's saying, why are you quarreling about these things that don't really matter? All sorts of things can create contention in churches. Positions. Someone gets a position that you, you had your desire for. You had, you had want, someone has a position that you'd like to be in. Someone doesn't agree with you on some, on some point. Someone, there's an event there's a problem at an event and it goes wrong and, you know, quarrels can start change. Someone starts changing something. You multiply. You have two services. And that was this, this change has made a real opportunity for contention, you know, for quarreling, for um, even growth. Like the desire to reach more people. That can just be a, a source sometimes for disunity if, if we push ourselves ahead Anytime we want what is best for us over what is best for all of us, then we move in this direction and we're headed towards a fight. Um, The driving forces behind strife, according to Scripture, first is the desire for pleasure. This is in James 4, where he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We have these desires that we really want. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. So we misdirect. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Most organizational, most relational conflict has as its source someone who is desiring personal pleasure, personal praise. And if this, if the urge towards conflict rises up, check. We have to check ourselves in the area of pride, of selfishness, 
What am I not getting here that's causing me to to want to go and to fight? Another area is jealousy and envy. We've really looked at that already. Selfish ambition. You see this in James 14 as well. But moving along, though, it says the cure for quarreling and division is to work extremely hard to keep unity and peace. We have to fight for unity in, in, in family life, amongst friends, in the church. We have to keep working at unity and fighting hard for it. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 3. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That phrase, make every effort, it has the idea that you're working so hard that you're sweating. We're, we're laboring with such intensity that we're sweating to keep together, to keep working together, to stay on the same team. How do we practically do this? First, you adopt and you honor the same views and direction. Think in harmony. Finally, brothers, he says, goodbye, aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be of one mind, which is think in harmony, think along the same lines, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We're to keep adopting the direction of the group. Another thing is be completely united in affirming and in refusing to speak against the direction of the valid leadership. This happens in family life all the time where the leaders will work against each other. You know, parents are trying to lead their kids and they'll work against each other over direction before the kids and it just tears them down. But this can happen in church life or in different ways. And so we're to just work hard at this. I, I did want to encourage just um, end with this that. I, I've been extremely encouraged by just watching Cody. You can come on up if you'd like. Um, by just seeing the church work together as we've launched two services. Again, like I said, that's a real opportunity for potential division, disunity. Um, just seeing many, many people just step up and put their need, the the self aside, and say, "What's what's best for the church? I want to help." And so people have just stepped up and did some amazing things. Helping with just redecor, all, all these different things that we've been able to change. And um, what that does as we stay unified is it makes this place even more attractive to those who step foot in here. In our families, if we'll focus on unity and deleting angry words, bitterness, all these things, it just makes our family a safe place to live in. It makes our friendship circles a safe place to, to, to grow up in, for us to relate a healthy place. And so... Um, there's hope for us in this area of angry words. It comes again through Christ. He, he begins to work a change within us. We have to yield to Him, walking in His Holy Spirit, learning how to give Him the, uh, the freedom to point things out in our life and then responding when He shows us where we've gotten off track. So if you'd like, take out this little connection card and we're going to just walk through these three next steps. The first one is this. You might consider memorizing James 1.19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A great verse, just reminding ourselves of the order of how we can keep ourselves from blowing up. Secondly, search your heart for any bitterness and begin moving towards forgiveness. Process, is there anything that I need to resolve? Someone I'm ticked off at, someone that I'm, I'm angry at, and I've, I've moved away, I've, I've pushed back from that relationship, but it's still there, I'm still... I'm still petting that grudge. I bring it out and occasionally I rehearse that. I boast about it. I lift myself up. I talk about them or it. If you're doing that, let this be an opportunity for you to get that clear. The third thing is, 
a commitment with family, friends, coworkers, or church. Promote and protect unity by supporting the same views and direction. Just fighting for unity. So let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for your word. Again, how practical it is. Lord, we're just constantly, as we look at it, Lord, we're challenged with specific areas of our life. Thank you for for how you speak so clearly, Lord. We, we just thank you for showing us things in our lives. Now, Lord, we ask you to give us the courage, Lord, to apply these things today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers are going to come forward in just a minute, and if you would, when they do, drop this in there as well, and so you guys can go ahead and receive the offering. Ushers can go ahead and come forward. And wanted to mention also that with the baptism orientation, like Scott mentioned, I'll be right here right after service. So if you're planning to be baptized, just come sit in these first two rows. If you have children that you'd like... Uh, or that have committed their lives to Christ. Um, they need to have committed their life to Christ. They need to have uh, decided to follow Jesus Christ. It's not a decision that you can make for them. It's something that they have to make for themselves. And so if, if your children have done that and they can verbalize that, um, then just go and pick them up in Kid Zone and bring them here. We'll wait for a few minutes before we start. And so Cody's going to lead as we continue.